again, everyone. I'm Mark Robison, candidate for North Carolina State Senate for Charlotte's District 39 and your host for the Elephant in the Room podcast. We like to talk about issues that others don't want to talk about, but are really important to our country. And today we're going to be talking about the rise of human trafficking in America, and especially here in Charlotte. I am joined by Christy Wells. She is the CEO of the Safe House Project, which is an organization that is literally saving the lives of those who have been rescued from this abhorrent criminal industry. Christy, thank you so much for joining me. I'm glad to be here. Thank you so much. Hey, listen, so I've got a question to start out with. This past Saturday was World Against Trafficking in Persons Day. What exactly is uh, trafficking in persons? Yeah, so a lot of people associate trafficking with abduction. Maybe they've seen the movie Taken and they think that somebody is snatched, grabbed and um, uh you know, taken away from their home. But the reality is human trafficking is the sexual commercial sexual exploitation of an individual through force, fraud or coercion. There's also other forms of trafficking, including labor trafficking. So it's really the the forcing of somebody to do something again through force, fraud or coercion with a commercial element. And so sex trafficking in America can look many different ways, but really it's somebody being sold for commercial sex at somebody else's gain. So it's kind of so really there's two parts to it. It sounds like it's labor and sex slavery, I'm assuming. Those are two of the predominant types of trafficking. There are actually um, a number of different types of trafficking. Um, But, uh, you know, you look at organ trafficking and those kind of things. But the two predominant ones that we see in the United States, sex trafficking being the highest um, and then labor being the second. Well, when I think about sex trafficking, I think of like large cities. Uh, And I Mm -hmm. noticed, I guess, just since I started this campaign, especially that Charlotte um, is ranked the sixth worst city in the United States for human trafficking. But we're only like the 16th largest city in terms of population. Um, What why is that? Why is Charlotte such a epicenter for this horrible industry? Well, you're not wrong in that sex trafficking is going to be um, exasperated in very large cities. However, I think what the other thing to recognize is the the report that you're referencing is coming from the National Human Trafficking Hotline, where it is Charlotte is the sixth largest, um, uh, sixth worst city in the United States because there are human trafficking reports. And what that actually points to, in my opinion, is that law enforcement is trained um, better than most cities to identify it, um, where you actually people think that there's no trafficking in rural America. Well, I know for a fact that there is, but law enforcement in those communities is not trained to identify it. And so, yes, when you have a um, greater density of a population, you're going to see higher rates of human trafficking. However, I think the thing that we have to recognize is that it exists in you know, every zip code, it exists across the nation in large communities uh, or small communities, large cities. Um, This is something that permeates our society. We just don't know what we're looking for most of the time. Right. It's um, it it sounds to me and and I've just, you know, I I think from 30,000 feet, I think, oh, you know, sex trafficking, they bring them over the border and then they, Mm. you know, these children into these horrible situations. But from what I've heard, it's actually uh, a lot of it's uh, local. I mean, it might be um, 
some kids at the mall uh, are approached by an adult who, you know, talks them into doing things they they end up not wanting to do. Um, is, is that kind of a fair observation? Yeah, so I'll give you some background on what we see as an organization and what we see in this field. So 66% of domestic sex trafficking victims are first trafficked by somebody that they know and trust. Oh, wow. Um, uh, in total, about 40 to 50% of child sex trafficking victims are first trafficked by a family member. The very first case that we ever dealt with out of the Carolinas was a 13-year-old when she came into care, she had been um, trafficked for three years, um, sold to um, basically pay for drug money for her grandmother. Her grandmother had trafficked her mom until she became too drug addicted and STD ridden to be of use. And so when this little girl was 10, her grandmother turned to her as the family's source of income um, and to pay for the drug money. And this is the thing that we see more than anything else. Um, the other thing to note is that traffickers um, are coming into our home without ever walking through our front door through social media. And so if you think of some of the um, what we call the grooming tactics of traffickers. One of the most common forms of trafficking outside of familial trafficking is a scenario we call boyfriending, where it is somebody who reaches out, uh, maybe through social media, they begin to befriend the girl. Um, they look for those who are vulnerable. Traffickers exploit vulnerabilities, whether it is um, a food insecurity, instability at home, somebody who is being bullied, um, a girl, young girl who's just looking for love and attention. And the traffickers identify what those things are and they're pretty easy to spot. Um, and then they begin befriending somebody online and, you know, maybe they see them on social media, on Instagram, and they see a young girl who's posting suggested pictures of herself just because she's looking for attention. The trafficker will, will reach out through the direct messaging method tell them they're beautiful, tell them they should be a model, tell them that, you know, they want to, you know, be their boyfriend. We'll begin building this relationship over time, ultimately either convincing the girl that this is the only person in the world that gets them, the only person that they really want to be with. There is a love bond that is built and they can convince the girl to run away um, or they convince them to sneak out and then you know, sometimes that's where they will rape them. They will do something that is um, not something that the girl expects. She feels shame. She feels like she can't um, reach out for help. And then she will um, kind of be sucked into the circle uh, of a really dangerous relationship where she desperately wants this person's love and attention because they've convinced her that nobody else gets her um, and is desperate to keep it and will do whatever she can to keep it. Um, it's a... a it's a culmination of an unhealthy relationship with a monetary gain for the other person. So that is one of the scenarios that we see play out quite often. And so when we oh. think of um, kids in our communities, you know, it's yes, it's easy to point this to those who are disconnected youth. But when we actually realize that this can happen in the you know highest echelons of Charlotte society, then all of a sudden we realize that this is not an over there problem. This is in our backyard. Oh my God. You know, I tell you, Christy, just as a dad mm -hmm. and hearing you go through it, it, it's just, it, I guess it just, it, it, it's sickening and infuriating. And I mean, I think about the fact that, you know, if I'm in a position next year uh, being elected to the North Carolina state legislature, you know, 
I got to I got to come at this. I just feel like a hammer needs to come down. And, you know, one of the things I think about, for instance, you know, when you think of uh, actual slavery that occurred in this country hunt for hundreds of years, you know, the 13th Amendment to the Constitution outlaws slavery. So where do you think the disconnect is between really what I call modern day slavery? I know that you call it modern mm-hmm. slavery, and really what the 13th Amendment was about. Why? Why? Uh, where's the disconnect there legislatively? Yeah. So I think in, in that point, when tra- or slavery was made illegal, you had a, a clear um, victim and you had a clear owner or perpetrator because it wasn't having to be hidden. Um, it was very open. Uh, um, they were very, it was very direct. Um, and so this idea of ownership was very clear. You cannot own somebody. However, when you look at um, a family member who is trafficking a child, the child doesn't know that the things that are happening to them are wrong. We have a staff member who was trafficked by family for over 19 years, and it began when she was two. So the things that happened to her, that was what she was born into. She didn't know that the things that were happening to her were illegal, that it was um, slavery. And, And the fact of the matter is they were her legal guardians. They were the people that for all intents and purposes had control over her life. Um, And so it is. And so, um, you know, if you think of trafficking happening, you know, oftentimes the, the laws haven't caught up because we haven't really fully realized all of the different ways that this is manifesting um, through, again, f- through familial trafficking, through a boyfriending situation where um, the boyfriend is in control. But at the end of the day, if something happened that this 17 year old girl was picked up in most states um, being sold for sex, mm. she could be tried as a prostitute and the oh. charges fall to her. And so this idea of the legalization of sex work of nor- or normalization or acceptance of sex work and not coming down on the buyers um, allows the, per- the um, continuation of trafficking. So when you say buyers, I'm thinking that the legislation, we, we need to make this so unattractive to someone who's willing to, to you know, I guess, uh, spend money. Mm-hmm. horrible practice that they would never want to do it again. That just sounds to me like that's what needs to start happening. Absolutely. One of my favorite things that has been done in the last year and a half is that Texas made first time sex buying a felony. And if they don't, if states don't continue to um, advance legislation that makes this um, punitive, then buyers and traffickers are going to continue going. But right now, this is a low risk, high reward industry. The traffickers know that they will not be tried because um, they have to have a, you know, law enforcement looks for a viable witness and the trauma that these survivors have gone through makes them um, seem very unstable, very unreliable. Um, People call into question their testimony because oftentimes it seems so 
um, outside of the realm of what we could understand. So the traffickers know they don't have a law enforcement doesn't have a reliable witness. Them proving force, fraud, or coercion is very difficult for law enforcement. And so traffickers know they're not going to get hit with trafficking charges. Um, the victims themselves are forced into petty crime and, and into other crimes during their trafficking situation. So they actually hold more criminal records than the traffickers themselves if and when they get out of their trafficking situation. And the buyers are getting off scot-free. And so we have an upside down judicial system and legislative system when it comes to trafficking, and we've got to right the ship. So this is really interesting what you just mentioned about Texas. Um, mm-hmm. You, th- this is, if, if you were to look at this as a supply and demand situation, mm-hmm. they are going after demand. So they're going mm-hmm. to make it absolutely they're, they're going to make it very, very difficult for somebody to go through with, you know, sex buying. Therefore, and I would assume if they've got enough people with felonies, uh, the demand will dry up. Therefore, um, that's going to make a big dent in this. I believe absolutely it's going to make a difference. Um, you've got to make sure that law enforcement's really on their game to go after those charges. But when they're doing sting operations, the great thing about this, you know, you see sting operations that happen all the time around major sporting events, and they can actually get um, a whole lot of johns because proving that somebody had the intention of buying sex from a minor or from an adult. I mean, these guys are frankly idiots. They'll, the things that they will put online on chats and the way that they will discuss things and what their intentions are and what they intend to purchase. I mean, they might as well be ordering a Domino's pizza with all of the different toppings with how specific they will be. So law enforcement oftentimes is on the other side of these rates and they can, they have all of this recorded. And so it's actually quite easy to lock a John into a buyer into charges for their intent to buy, because they will, again, lay it out very clearly. Um, there's, it makes it much more difficult, again, for a trafficking victim to um, prove that they were being trafficked because, again, they right. have to prove force, fraud, or coercion. So this is an interesting way to look at it. In other words, if you destroy the demand and you dry it up and it's in these Johns are this stupid, um, it seems to me like it would be very easy. So Texas seems to be doing something, uh, something right there. Um, So from a national perspective, I I did notice that in February of this year, the the House uh, introduced Bill 6552. It was introduced Mm -hmm. that it passed. Now it reauthorizes and let me, I guess, Reemphasize, reauthorizes the 2000 Trafficking Victims Protection Act. Now, what's mm-hmm. that reauthorization going to do to help uh, end human trafficking if it hasn't, you know, since the year 2000? Yeah, so we worked really closely with um, representatives Chris Smith's office um, out of New Jersey and Karen Bass out of California on this bill. So they um, had actually introduced a beefier version of the bill about a year and a half prior, but it was um, not going through. And so they had to slim it down um, because there were five different committees that had jurisdiction over this bill. And so we worked really closely with his office. It actually went to vote last week and passed 402 to 20. Um, So we were very happy with that. But what this does, so trafficking was made illegal in 2000 with the original Trafficking Victim Protection Act. To your point, every five years, it has to be reauthorized by Congress. And what this does is the the original legislation made it illegal, but every year they expand the provisions to prevent trafficking, prosecute traffickers, and protect 
victims. And so this is the thing that um, authorizes the um, U.S. Survivor Advisory Council um, through the White House that um, really gives legislative um, advice um, on human trafficking. This is the thing that funds the task forces across the United States. This is the thing that funds all of the domestic and international initiatives to combat trafficking. So there was about $1.6 billion in federal funding over five years that was attached to this bill. So really, it just helps us continue to move the needle. Trafficking is a very um, volatile, uh, very growing industry. And so we've got to make sure that um, our legislative framework um, from a federal standpoint can keep up with the time. So um, Chris Smith has done a phenomenal job over the years leading the charge to always um, advance the legislation and expand those provisions. So that sounds to me like uh, it was definitely something that should be reauthorized. And yes. um, and you guys have had a has, have, a, have had a wonderful effect on that. So there's kind of coming from the supply side, Texas looking at the demand side. So but I don't think anybody can answer this next question better than you, Christy. I mean, I, I think about, you know, what does a perfect world look like? Well, it would mean that there's no human trafficking. So let me ask you this. If you could wave a magic wand and you could enact any legislation really in both Washington and Raleigh or any state capital on the state level, what would that legislation be? What would it look like? Um, That's a great question. It would have a few key parts. Um, One, it would have um, harsher punishments for traffickers. Um, across the states, across the nation. Um, It would have harsher um, penalties for buyers. It would have the decriminalization of trafficking uh, or decriminalization of of those who are being forced to um, sell their bodies for sex. So right now, again, a lot of these trafficking victims come out with prostitution charges and nobody realizes that there was somebody behind that selling them. And so we want to see um, those who have criminal records associated with their trafficking situation, those charges be um, white off of their slate. Um, We want to see the ability to have financial um, restoration for these trafficking victims. Traffickers will um, raise or take credit cards out in their name and um, get them into such significant amounts of debt that if they leave, they don't have the ability to regain their credit and start their life over because they have a wrecked credit score because of the traffickers. So we want them to see, uh, we want them to have the ability to rebuild their lives. We want to see greater funding associated with the restorative care process. We cannot simply invest in increasing identification. While I think that that's key, we have to be willing to invest in the restoration process. Um, And that is through federal legislation or federal funding to support restorative care homes um, that are largely privately funded at this point. So those are some of the things that we would want to see across the board. I think that uh, every single person, <laughs> every single person in government needs to talk to you about this, Christy. Mm-hmm. This is so important. It's a dark uh, stain on our our, our country, but I, I, I guess I'm an optimist. I believe that if we would listen to you and people in your positions, uh, we could get rid of this. We could make this stop. And I just, I cannot thank you enough for what you do in this space and with Safe House Project. And of course, thank you so much for joining me today, Christy. I, I, I can't thank you enough. 
I'm glad to be here. Thanks so much. Okay. 